And thanks to Lori, and I'm guessing her family, and there were probably others who, if you just look around, you can tell they put in some work, and it looks beautiful. Let's applaud those that helped right here off the bat. If there is anyone that is gluten-free and we haven't recognized you yet, raise a hand. Becky back there. Great. We wanted to get gluten-free matzah to you. Okay, that's good. Uh, We're going to receive a love offering for Rabbi Michael and Maria at the end, so you can anticipate that. We've uh, got a special designated on text to give in case that's a means by which to give, so I'll give you a bit more instruction at the end. Uh, This is Holy Saturday in Holy Week, and in recent years, I think I have found Holy Saturday to be the most intriguing day of this Holy Week. I hadn't really thought about that, but what must it have been like for those disciples between the cross and an empty tomb, between Good Friday and Easter Sunday? And here we are, and in some sense, life is that way. We're in between the uh, first and second coming of the Lord Jesus. And our prayer is tonight that as we uh, share this evening together on Holy Saturday, after Good Friday, anticipating Easter, that we'll just sense uh, the presence of the Lord Jesus with us. And that we'll be um, an encouraging presence to each other. Amen? I'm going to offer a uh, prayer And then turn it over to our friend, uh, Rabbi Michael. Thank you, God, for this day. It's the day you have made, and we rejoice and are glad in it. Thank you for this week. Thank you for the events that we remember and celebrate. Lord Jesus, we're grateful for you. And we pray that your presence would be near and real to us tonight. And we pray your blessing on this time. We pray it in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Anybody hear me? Ah, well, shalom. Shalom. Thank you, everybody, for having my wife and I um, out for dinner. We are, uh, you, know, you guys could have been at many different places. Is it up, is it up enough? Oh. Well, I'm green. I'm green over here. It's okay. All right. You know, some people wouldn't mind. Oh, is it going in and out? All right, so let's see if that, okay. So when I put it in my pocket, it goes out. It doesn't like my pocket. Put it in your, put it in your breast pocket. My breast pocket, okay. What do you have in that pocket? I don't know. Thank you for your patience. All right. That sounds like it's on. So first off, we always say, I'm going to leave it right there. Is it on right now? No. No? Oh. This is... 
This is the antenna. All right, so three hours of that and we'll be okay. So uh, while, while this works, I just want to say shalom and thank you for having my wife and I. You could have been anywhere today, this evening, but you chose to be here. And I pray that um, we are not uh, viewers today. That we're not viewing something that happened or is happening, but instead we're participants. We are experiencing what has happened, what is happening, and what will happen. Tonight you're going to find some, some deep and rich meaning in the Passover Seder, some deep messianic meanings. Uh, we're not here to challenge anything, but you may see things a little bit differently doctrinally that you may have experienced before. Our goal here is to give you an experience as if you are at the table with Messiah Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth, during that Last Supper, that you're right there with him. You're not the one, he's going to dip something in hand, you know, you're not that guy, but you're everyone else. <laughs> and you get to experience that wonderful, wonderful time. Uh, as a messianic rabbi, we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the only way to God, and that he is God. We also believe that he's coming again. So in that, Messianic Judaism shares that with, with Christianity, of course, and that is a, a glue that binds us together in the identity as sons and daughters of the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. So this is going to be a little bit interactive. We may have some stuff that maybe you guys read. Uh, if it's difficult for you to read the screen up there, we're going to help you out as best we can. We'll make sure to let you know what, what page we're on and everything. And um, we're going to have some fun. Um, Oh, just thought I'd share just for fun. Uh, Lori wanted me to share as well. Is I would say about a decade ago, yeah, about a decade ago, uh, we got married, and I was the associate pastor of a Nazarene church of all things in Kaiser, Oregon. Has anybody ever heard of Kaiser, Oregon? Yes. So I was in the Orpac district. You're familiar with that? I did uh, NBC online. Spent a summer at NNU in, in Idaho, and uh, really, really enjoyed it. And then decided to uphold the, uh, the Jewish heritage of my family and become a rabbi. But I still speak with uh, Pastor Dallas Yetter over there. His father, Bo Yetter, has been a Nazarene pastor for, uh, I don't know, since they started the domination, I think. It's, it's, he's, in, he's in his um, I think mid to late 80s, and he's still leading uh, Sunday services with Dallas over there. Wonderful, wonderful family. They were originally in uh, Colorado, and then they uh, relocated there in Oregon. So have a deep uh, respect and history for the Nazarene denomination, and I even have some of those early 1900s pamphlets sitting at the home. If anybody's a history nerd like myself, it's fun to read some of those old things. So, Okay, let's see, we'll go ahead and go to the first page here. Wonderful. And we're actually going to go to start at page four. So this is something that we can... No, we're going to go straight to page four. There's one guy out there that looks really hungry, so we're going to go straight to page four. <clears throat> the Pesach Passover. Tonight we eat history. Tonight we suffer as slaves in the land of Egypt. Tonight we are delivered from the hand of Pharaoh. Tonight we celebrate the victory of God as he parts the waters of the Sea of Reeds to allow us to cross over. Tonight, 
much different from all other nights. We become more aware of who we are, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, called out from among the peoples of the earth, for on a night such as this, we went forth out of Egypt, leaving behind our lives as nameless slaves on a night such as this, we rejoined in our new, newly found freedom and identity. On a night such as this, Messiah Yeshua, who is Jesus, experienced our pain and passion in his final hours before his crucifixion, which would ultimately lead to our redemption. Tonight, we share the sorrow as well as the joy of our ancestors, the natural branches of Israel, as we remember what we should never forget. We once were slaves, but now are free. Amen. Luke 22, 14 through 15 says, And when the hour has come, he sat down in the, and the apostles with him, and he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Pesach, Passover, with you before I suffer. It's important that sometimes in the church today we, we read <clears throat> the, the Old Testament, we read of the Hebrews and the Israelites, and it's easy to say they. They did this. They went through that. But it's our lineage. It's all of our lineage. Our forefathers, our foremothers, and this is our history as people of Jesus. Abraham, Abraham had many sons, many sons. Nobody else. Oh, yeah. Nobody grew up with this song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Turns into a hokey pokey, doesn't it? So that's why we say we, we are experiencing these things of our ancestors. Top of page five, do this in remembrance of me. I'm going to read the in remembrance of me. Participating in the Passover Seder meal is connecting with who we are as redeemed people. It is an honor and a privilege. It is both an instruction of God's Torah and a means by which we proclaim the Master's death until it comes, 1 Corinthians 11.26. By celebrating the Passover with a Seder meal, we're not only fulfilling a biblical commandment, but we are connecting to our Messiah, identifying with Him in His suffering, and rejoicing over His resurrection. May the Lord bless you and your home as you embark on this wonderful journey. And we are here in this wonderful church. To explain that, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Now today, it is interpreted as the communion. And I assume you do communion here at the church. When Jesus was saying, do this in remembrance of me, he was doing the Passover Seder. The last meal was this. So tonight, you get to we're not just doing the do. We're not just doing the remembrance. We're, not, we're also remembering it of him but we're also doing the this. Does that make sense? The this is the Passover Seder. We are doing this tonight in remembrance of his sacrifice. And we're going to skip to the bottom and the right side of page six. You're going to see there's four cups we're going to be drinking tonight. The cup of sanctification, which represents, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Second is the cup of judgment. I will free you from being slaves. Third is redemption. I will redeem you from an with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. The fourth, kingship. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. On page 7, I'm going to summarize this for you. On page 7, it speaks of the chametz, or the leavening, that we remove from our houses before Passover. The leavening, as Rav Shaul, Paul the Apostle, says, it represents sin, it represents pride and being puffed up. So for a whole week after Passover, we eat only matzah, which is that funny-looking cracker on everybody's table. What's interesting is 
you can take that same cracker and add in yeast and sugar and, and it will puff up. It'll appear to have more substance, but it really doesn't. If you cut a big loaf of bread in half, you see all those beautiful bubbles. Sometimes the Father calls us to be like a humble bread, even pierced sometimes, to not, have, to not appear to have more substance than we really do. And that is one of the main essences of the matzah. And there's a few prayers here, so I'm actually going to read. The, let's see here. This is all about cleaning the leaven from the home. And on page 11, it's about lighting the candles, which we won't do today. Page 12 is a summary of the entire service. And then we go right to the beginning at page 13. Beautiful. Sanctification of the evening. Exodus 6.6. 6. I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. The cup of sanctification sanctifies or sets apart this time as a time dedicated to our God. It is done at the beginning of any special time consecrated to the Almighty. Tonight we set apart this time to remember how God has set us apart from Egypt. Amen. So what we do now is everybody's got some juice that looks like this. And what you're going to do is you're going to pour some in your glass. Now, to, we don't fill it all the way up because we're doing this four times. So you really only need to pour about that much. Can you guys see that? So we're going to be fairly conservative with this. And a beautiful white tablecloth. So we want to, we want to not get this all over Lori's tablecloths or I'm in trouble. She won't invite me next year. And make sure those stems are, are, are tight to your, your glasses there. There we go. Thank you. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and earth were finished in all their array. On the seventh day, God completed his work which he had done, and he abstained on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it he abstained from all his work with God, which God had created. Genesis 1, 31, 2, 3. So we have a blessing. My, my wife and I will, will sing this, and we're going to sing this several times tonight so you'll get a hang of the tune, but you lift up the cup with your right hand, again, the cup of sanctification. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu Medik HaOlam, Borei Rihagafen, Amen. In the English, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Now, Oh, and Yeshua, Jesus, the true vine. And then we set it down. We'll come back to that. Blessed are, you, blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, who has chosen us from every people, exalted us above every tongue, and sanctified us with his commandments. And you gave us, O Lord our God, the Sabbaths for rest, the appointed festivals for gladness, festivals of a time of joy, and a day of the festival of Matzot, which is unleavened breads, Time for freedom with love, a holy convocation, 
a memorial of the exodus from Egypt. For you have chosen us, and you have sanctified us above all peoples. And you have given us an inheritance, your holy Sabbath and festivals, and gladness and joy. Blessed are you, O Lord, who sanctifies the Sabbath, Israel, and the festive seasons. Amen. And in this next prayer we do at all appointed festivals, all holidays. All right, your turn. <laughs> By next English. year, we'll have that down. Uh, we have it in everything we do in Hebrew, we'll also do in English. Yes. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has kept us alive, sustained us, and brought us to this season. Now, before we drink the cup of sanctification, there's a really fun tradition. Now, it's a leaning to your left, not too far, so we don't have arms on these chairs. But when you're, have you ever heard this from a boss? If you have time to lean, you have time to clean. When you're working for someone, you have to always be prostrate. You have to always be, be there ready to work. But when you're off work, you get to relax. You get to lean against the couch and put on your favorite show and, and, and then have, have a snack, right? So by leaning a little bit in the chair and relaxing, we're actually experiencing that we are no longer slaves to Pharaoh. This guy for 400 years would barely give us a day off, but we are no longer slaves. And today, you're not at work. So we lean left as we drink the cup of sanctification. Good year. The next is the urchatz, which means the washing of the hands. In Psalm 24, 3 and 4, it says, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, and who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood, and has not sworn deceitfully. So you're going to see that in front of you. We have a, some blue water. The blue water is some water, it's some, and it's also some hand sanitizer. So I'm glad nobody's been drinking it. <laughs> now you're going to have a napkin to your left. If you'd like, you can go ahead and open up your napkin. We'll use that to help dry our hands a little bit. Some of you are going to use your, 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 your pants, probably the guys. I couldn't get the knot undone either. I <laughs> just slide it down. Wonderful. We wash our hands now in humbleness of heart, in preparation of what we are about to partake, representing of the washing away of chametz and sin. And I'll say the prayer for the washing of the hands. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu and then we dip our fingers in the blue water, shake it off, and then dry with the napkin. Thank you. Next part is called karpas. Karpas is 
a bitter herb. It is not supposed to taste that good. But it has a deep meaning. Exodus 2.23. The sons of Israel sighed. Sigh. Uh, have you ever done that before? Anybody look at the gas prices recently? Oh, you know how to sigh. Three, two, one. Uh, doesn't that feel good? Because of the bondage. And they cried out. And their cry for help because their bondage rose up to God. So they were so distraught in that hard labor that God heard their cries. Lifting up the parsley. You see on the Seder plates in front of you, you lift up parsley or give you some here. Everybody just grab a little bit. Lifting up the parsley. The Lord's calendar is meant to teach us in our everyday lives as we experience the changing of the seasons and the Moedim, the festivals, that he has established for each. He could have chosen winter, summer, or fall in which to bring our redemption. But the Holy One, blessed is he, chose the springtime to remind us of our newly found freedom. The karpas is a symbol of springtime and hope. Sometimes we despair of the wickedness in our world. Pesach calls us to hope again. We dip the karpas in salt water once to remember the tears we cried in Egypt when we were slaves. May we never be so comfortable that we become complacent, forgetting the pain of others. You shall not oppress a stranger. You know the heart of a stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Exodus 23, 9. So when we dip it, we're going to dip it here. It's the clear water, not the hand sanitizer blue water. Okay, I don't, I don't know if the church's insurance covers that kind of stuff. So just dip it once. Don't eat it yet. We dip our carpas a second time to remember the drowning of the Egyptians in the sea and the miraculous delivery of Israel. Now we dip a second time. And then we'll sing. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Bori, Bori Amen. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the earth. Now, when you eat this, it's going to taste just like the salt and the, what we had to deal with as slaves. So, lean to your left. Yeah, that's how it's supposed to taste. <laughs> Anybody had a hard day at work before? And it kind of tasted like that? Now the next is the matzah. Please, one person from each table, uncover the matzah. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which for you, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. So there's three pieces of matzah. We're going to grab the one in the middle. And we're going to break it. And one piece, just how it works, is going to be a little bigger than the other one. So we take that one piece, and it's very, very special. It's okay. 
Maybe don't be so angry next time <laughs> when you're breaking it. All right. She's sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I told you we are going to have a little fun, didn't I? So everybody has a napkin. And you're going to take that larger piece and you're going to fold it in that napkin. And we'll fold it there. If you can reach better than me. And now it's called the afikomen. Say afikomen. Afikomen. And it's Greek, it means the coming one. In Hebrew, that word is shiloh. Or in English, we say shiloh. It's the same thing. The one who comes, the, the special person that we expect. In the Jewish culture, it was often the husband who would come like a thief in the night. The, 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 the wife or the fiancé would have to be ready to be married at any given time. But what would happen is he would come in the middle of the night, and he would come with all of his friends as they would come singing into town. And that often that, that wedding would take place in the middle of the night. We know that Jesus, our Messiah, will be coming like a thief in the night to come search for his bride as well. Now, back then, a Jewish wedding was one week long. Whoa. Now, the honeymoon was 30 days. That's why it's called a honeymoon, because our calendar months on the Hebrew calendar is moon to moon. Right now, the moon is completely full, which means we're in the middle of the month. The, the moon it is a new month when you don't see the moon at all. When you see the little sliver, that is the first day. So we're right in the middle of the first month of the Hebrew calendar called the month of Nisan. So if anybody needed a, a new beginning in life, this is a great time. Now, that piece of matzah will be hidden a little bit later, and it will have to be found. Now, what we'll do is when we eat dinner a little bit later, my wife and I are going to hide, hide the afikomen somewhere in this room. And the kids, how many kids do we have? One. Kids at heart. <laughs> we're very confused about the, how to answer that question, but we're going to hide it. And whatever kid finds it, we have a toy. Don't show it. I'm not showing it yet. We have a toy and an envelope with cash in it. Now, now we have more kids than we did a minute ago. <laughs> Look at that. Because be the 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 Alfie Coleman. Nah, they can't watch me hide it. The Alf, I'll blend in. I'll take off my kippa. No one will see me. It's like Clark Kent taking, you know, taking off his glasses. So the Alfie Coleman is so precious to us that we are willing to give you cash and prizes to get it back. And that's how precious the coming of our Messiah should be. And it is the, ch the children who get to go find him. It's a beautiful meeting. And yes, this was a Jewish tradition before Jesus came to earth in the flesh. So you're going to see many of these elements were already here. We were doing as Jews every spring, and Jesus fulfilled so many things. The next thing is the Megid, which is the telling of the story of Pesach. I have remembered my covenant, Exodus 6.5. Now I'm going to give you the shortest version ever. Are you ready? There were 12 brothers. They didn't like the youngest one, so they sold him into slavery, and then he went to Egypt, and then eventually he became really cool, and then he was accused of something he didn't do, and then they threw him in jail, and then he interpreted some dreams, and then Pharaoh said, hey, I, I think I, I have some dreams. They're really weird. There's some cows. There's some, some wheat. I need a dream interpreter. So they went ahead, and they got him. 
They got Joseph. They brought him in. He interpreted some dreams. All of a sudden, he got a really cool job. And then there were seven years of plenty. And then there were seven years of not much. And then people bought a lot of stuff. And then his brothers come down. And they think, oh, I can't. He's an Egyptian. I, I don't know who this guy is. And then he goes, that's my brothers. Oh, oh. And so what happens after that is he reveals himself. I knew Yosef. He says, I'm Joseph. He cries. Everybody's there. And then he goes, you know what? I'm not going to kill you. I love you guys. I'm going to give you the land of Goshen. Go get dad. Go get the stuff. Go get the dogs. Whatever we have. I'm going to give you this great land. We're in the land way too long. And then eventually we became slaves in Egypt. All right, good. Now the rest we'll talk about during this. But that's the very gist of what happened. There's a weird silver cup. There's some other stuff that went on. But that's the basics of how we got in Egypt. All right. The lachba'anya is the bread of affliction. All right. So take that piece of matzah that was broken, the one that's in your napkin. Sorry. And this is a weird part. It goes on your shoulder. That's kind of a weird thing, but all this is fun. All right. This is the bread of affliction that our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. Whoever is hungry, let him come and eat. Whoever is in need, let him come and join in celebration of the Pesach festival. This year we are here. Next year, may we be in the land of Israel. So, next part is called Manishtana. What does that mean? Well, it's how different. We have these special four questions that involve four children. So today, we will be the four children. Is that okay? That's fine. Children of God. How about that? Exodus twelve twenty six. When your children ask you, what does the ceremony mean to you? Then you tell them. So we're supposed to actually ask questions here. So we're going to go to the bottom of page 18. And I'm going to... Uh, be leader, and then we have child one, two, three, four, and we'll just go down the line. So, uh, Kelly, if you could, if you, could you be child one? Okay, and you have the microphone, I believe that should be there. How different this night is from all other nights? How different this night is from all other nights? On all other nights, we eat bread or matzah. On this night, why do we eat only matzah? That is such a How different this night is from all other nights. On all other nights, we eat all kinds of vegetables. On this night, why do we eat only bitter herbs? I always cheat, uh, tease child number two. I say, so you're saying that you're eating a lot of vegetables, right? Is that what you're telling me? And then they go, no. <laughs> I'll be child three. How different this night is from all other nights. On all other nights, we do not dip our vegetables even once. On this night, why do we dip them twice? How different this night is from all other nights. On all other nights, we eat our meals sitting or reclining. On this night, why do we eat reclining? Now we'll answer those questions. We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord our God took us out from there with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm. If the Holy One, blessed be He, had not taken our fathers out of Egypt, then we, our children and our children's children, would have remained enslaved to Pharaoh to Egypt. Even if all of us were wise, all of us understanding, all of us knowing the Torah, we would still be obligated to discuss the exodus from Egypt. And everyone who discusses the exodus from Egypt at length is praiseworthy, which is probably why this service is so long. <laughs> Blessed is the makom, ever-present. Blessed is he. Blessed is he who has given the Torah to his people, Israel. Blessed is he. 
The sages speak of four sons, a wise son, a wicked son, a simple son, and a son who is unable to ask. So, Kelly, if you could be the, the, wise, the wise daughter. Okay. What are the testimonies, decrees, and ordinances which the Lord our God has commanded you? Therefore, explain to him the Pishah offering that one may not eat anything after eating the Pishah sacrifice. Now we have the wicked son. I'm so sorry, Pastor. It's just how it happened. <laughs> of what purpose is this work to you? To you, he says, but not to himself. By excluding himself from the community, he has denied the fundamentals of the faith. Therefore, blunt his teeth and tell him, it is because of this that the Lord did so for me when I went forth from Egypt. For me, but not for him. Had he been there, he would not have been redeemed. And I'll be the simple son. What is this? Tell him, what a strong hand did the Lord take us out of Egypt. With a strong hand. From the house of bondage. As for the son who is unable to ask, you shall tell your son on that day, it is because of this that the Lord did so for me when I went out of Egypt. In the beginning, our fathers served idols, but now the omnipresent one has brought us close to his service, as it is said. Yehoshua, Joshua, said to all the people, Thus said the Lord, the God of Israel, your fathers used to live on the other side of the river, Terak, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. And I took your father, Abraham, from beyond the river, and I led him throughout the whole land of Canaan. I increased his seed and gave him Yitzhak, and to Yitzhak I gave Yaakov and Esau. To Esau I gave Mount Seir to possess it, and Yaakov and his sons went down to Egypt. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed four hundred years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions." Amen. Now, please fill your cup again with the juice. Remember, just a just a bit. raise the cup with our right hand and we all say it is this that has stood by our fathers and us for not only one has risen against us to destroy us but in every generation they rise against us to destroy us but the holy one blessed be he rescued us from their hand and we can put the cup down and that's to show that the enemy works through different people different uh, different plagues in all different ways His full-time job is to take down the chosen of God. But he loses every time, doesn't he? And I read the end of the book. He loses for good. So for here, what we'll do is we'll uh, transition participant, 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 and we'll go and I'll lead and then 
we'll kind of trade off of that. So we'll start off with uh, Kelly, participant, please. The Egyptians treated us badly, and they made us suffer, and they put hard work upon us. And we cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our suffering, our labor, and our oppression. And we cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers, as it is said, during that long period the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel groaned because of the servitude. And they cried out, and their cry for help from their servitude rose up to God. And the Lord heard our voice, as it said, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenants with Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. The Lord took us out of Egypt with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, and with a great manifestation and with signs and wonders. We cried out to God for help, and God heard our plea, saw our suffering, and responded to our oppression. God remembered the covenant with our ancestors, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. The Lord took us out of Egypt, not through an angel, not through a seraph, and not through a messenger. The Holy One, blessed be He, did it in His glory by Himself. Thus it is said, In that night I will pass through the land of Egypt, and I will smite every firstborn in the land of, of Egypt, from man to beast, and I will carry out judgments against all of God, or the gods of Egypt. I, the Lord, Exodus 12, 12. To explain that, it is sometimes believed that God sent some kind of death angel. Or if you watched an old film with Charlton Hested, it was an ominous green cloud that, that smote the firstborn sons of Egypt. But it's clear here in Scripture that the Lord is saying, I am doing it. I did not send some angel of death to go take the firstborn sons of Egypt. He did it himself. And there's another thing you need to know about our God. He doesn't enjoy taking life. It breaks his heart. When, he had to, when the Egyptian armies were swallowed up by the Red Sea, God did not rejoice. When God flooded the earth with the flood of Noah's time, God did not rejoice. Even in war today, when we defeat an enemy or something happens or even somebody of the most sin you could imagine in our society is, is killed on the death penalty, God does not rejoice does not rejoice in death. And so if you can see, there's some big, bold letters here on the page of 22. Oh, if I move my head, you can't hear me. Okay, I'm going to stand still. <laughs> so we're on page 22. So everyone will read the bold, I'll read the rest. I will pass through the land of Egypt. I am not an angel. I will smite every firstborn in the land of Egypt. I am not a seraph. And I will carry out judgments against all the gods of Egypt. I am not a messenger. I, the Lord. It is I and none other. With a strong hand, this refers to the pestilence, as it is said, Behold, the hand of the Lord will be upon your livestock in the field, upon the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds of your flocks, a very severe pestilence. And with an outstretched arm, this refers to the sword, as it is said, His sword was drawn in His hand, stretched out over Jerusalem. And with a great manifestation, this refers to the revelation of the Shekinah, divine presence. As it is said, has any God ever tried to take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation with trials, signs, and wonders, with war, and with a strong hand, and an outstretched arm, and with great manifestations like all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? And with signs... This refers to the staff, 
as it is said, take into your hand this staff with which you shall perform the signs. And wonders, this refers to the blood, as it is said, and I shall show wonders in heaven and on earth. And before we go to page 23, I'd like to share something uh, pretty fun. You know, the Bible was written in three original languages. Does anybody know what those are? Arabic, Greek, and what we're talking about today is Hebrew. So we have the first five books are in Hebrew, and the prophets, we start seeing a little bit more Aramaic until by the end of the prophets, we have all Aramaic. You know, in uh, Aramaic was the street language. Everybody knew what it was. The book of Jeremiah was all in Hebrew, but one verse was in Aramaic because Jeremiah wanted the people, the uneducated, less educated people on the streets to be able to understand. And the one verse was Jeremiah 10, 11. How cool is that? Anybody know what that is? For I know the plans that I have for you, not for evil, but for good. He wanted even the common people to know that the Lord has plans for them, and the plans are for good. How beautiful is that? Now, in the Hebrew language, of course, we watch Prince of Egypt, and we read through you know, the English versions of the Bible. We see that Moses and Aaron come before Pharaoh, and Aaron throws down his staff, and it turns into a slithering snake, and then a Disney song starts playing, I guess, or DreamWorks. Now, in the Hebrew, so we have a Torah scroll where we read from every single Sabbath. It's hundreds of years old. It, was, it survived the Holocaust, and you can put our scroll next to the Dead Sea Scrolls from 3,000 years ago, and not one letter has changed. And I love reading in the, in the original context. You, you find these deep and rich meanings. Well, it says that when Aaron threw his staff down, it doesn't say it turned into a snake, which would be nachash in Hebrew. Instead, the word is tanin, which translates to crocodile. Now, you might think, that is a weird thing for a stick to turn into. For some reason, to turning into a snake is not so weird. But you might think, what was the purpose, and why did it become a crocodile? Well, the Egyptians were, were most likely historically taken over by Persians at this time, which is why there was a pharaoh who knew not the god of, of the Israelites, because all the previous pharaohs They knew the God of Israel. (laughs) But they believed in a God named Sobek, who was a crocodile. And they believed he was the head of the military. And when you presented a crocodile, you were presenting warfare. Now what happens is our crocodile wins, eats their crocodiles for lunch. They also believe that Sobek lived in the Nile, right down the steps from the temple. So... He says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, I will not let your people go. Moses says, but God's going to release all of these terrible things. He goes, I still won't let your people go. Moses walks down the steps. He goes to the Nile. And it doesn't say he dipped. In the Hebrew, he stabbed. He plunged his staff in the water as blood pours out. God is speaking to Pharaoh in his language, saying, Your God, Sobek, who protects you and protects the Nile, is defeated. Do you still want to come against my wrath? And Pharaoh says, I will not let your people go. 
See, these plagues may not make a lot of sense to us when we just read it, but when you understand that they had the God of, of the, the cattle God, they had the, the frog God, when you, when you start to see all these plagues were actually taking out every one of their main Egyptian deities. The last one was Ra, the sun god, which, of course, it was dark for three days. So as we go through this, the, remember that Egyptian gods, they didn't exist. They're made up. There is no god but our god. But our God is so gracious that he would speak to Pharaoh in his language that he would understand to try to get his attention. Now, that takes some stubbornness to not hear from God, doesn't it? So in the very top of 23, it's Yamin Hashem, the Lord's right hand, Psalm 118, 116. I'll just read the English. The Lord's right hand is raised triumphantly. The Lord's right hand does valiantly. As we go through the Ten judgments. There are ten plagues which the Holy One, blessed be He, brought to the Egyptians. And we have a tradition where we dip our pinky finger in that juice and we put a spot on the plate, and that, on the rim of the plate. And that's going to represent these ten judgments, these ten plagues. And in doing so, we pray that we never see these again. So repeat after me. Blood. Blood. Frogs. Blood. Lice. Swarms, pestilence, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, death of the firstborn. Blessed is he who keeps his promise to Israel. Blessed be he for the Holy One, blessed be he calculated the end of the bondage in order to do as he had said to our father Avraham at the, at the covenant between the portions, as it is said. And he said to Avraham, You shall know that your seed will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and they will enslave them and make them suffer for 400 years. But I shall also judge the nation whom they shall serve, and after that they will come out with great wealth. Genesis 15 13, 14. We often miss this part of the covenant with Abraham. Well, we know God says to Abraham, your people will be like the sand on the seashores and, and the stars in the sky. But sometimes we often miss where God says, your children will be slaves for 400 years. And that was fulfilled. We go through the sons of Abraham, and eventually there is one son of Abraham, and his name is Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim is the Hebrew word for Egypt. Egypt. It's actually a son of Abraham that enslaves the sons of Israel. You see, a lot of times throughout the Bible, it's a quarrel between brothers. Anybody have any brothers? Anybody way cooler and smarter than your brothers? But for some reason, they think the same thing? It's a quarrel between brothers. We have a beautiful blessing over the sons. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Because these are the only two brothers in the Bible that we have no record of them fighting. And they were born in Egypt, Egypt, which is interesting. This next part is I'm going to read what's on the left, and you're going to say Dayenu. Say Dayenu. Dayenu. And it means it would have been enough. It would have been sufficient. It's a way of us appreciating 
what God has done for us. And in Psalms 145.7 says, They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. Let us bless the name of the Lord. How great is God's goodness for us. For each of his acts of mercy and kindness, we declare, Dayenu, it would have been enough. If the Lord had merely rescued us, but had not cast judgment upon the Egyptians. If the Lord had merely cast judgment upon the Egyptians, but not upon their gods. If he had merely cast judgment upon their gods, but had not slain their firstborn. If he had merely slain their their firstborn, but had not given us their wealth. If he had merely given us their wealth, but not had parted the sea. If he had merely parted the sea, but not led us through on dry ground. If he had merely let us go through dry ground, but not drowned our enemies in the waters. If he had merely drowned our enemies, but not provided for us in the desert for 40 years. If he had merely provided for us in the desert, but had not fed us manna. If he had merely fed us manna, but had not given us the Sabbath. If he had merely given us the Sabbath, but not brought us to Sinai. If he had merely brought us to Sinai, but not given us his Torah. If he had only given us his Torah, but not led us into the land of Israel. If he had only led us in the land of Israel, but not built the holy temple for us. If he had only built the holy temple for us, but not given us Messiah, the Torah made flesh. But the Holy One, blessed be he, provided all these things for us. And not only these, but so many more. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, for you have in mercy supplied all our needs. You have given us Messiah, and he is sufficient. And amen to them. So this song here, my wife and I will sing this song in Hebrew. And if you want to follow along or just, we do a lot of pounding on the table. Ilu hotsi hotsi anu hotsi anu mimitsai hotsi anu mimitsai dayenu day dayenu day dayenu day dayenu 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 day dayenu day dayenu day dayenu 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 Ilu natan natan lanu natan lanu et ashaba natan lanu et ashaba dayenu day dayenu day dayenu day dayenu 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 day dayenu day dayenu day dayenu 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 Ilu natan natan lanu natan lanu etator natan lanu etator dayenu day everybody enu day dayenu day dayenu 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 day dayenu day dayenu day dayenu dayenu last verse. Ilu natan natan lanu, natan lanu et Moshiach, natan lanu et Moshiach dayenu. Day dayenu, day dayenu, day dayenu, dayenu, dayenu. Day dayenu, day dayenu, day dayenu, dayenu, dayenu. Great job, everybody. And that the reality is, is our God fulfills all of our sufficient needs over and over and over again. We don't lack any of the basics 
And sometimes we feel like we don't have enough. Maybe our house should be bigger, or for some reason we need a boat in Colorado. I don't understand that one. Or we need a nicer car, or more paying, a higher paying job, or better health, or whatever. But truly, God is sufficient. And when we respect and honor those things that the Father has given us, our basic needs, then maybe He'll pour out some blessings. But He doesn't bless those who won't respect it, who won't honor him with those blessings. And thank you for that, Father, because you give a kid keys to a Corvette C7 Stingray, and that's a blessing he wasn't ready for. If you didn't know, it's 406 horsepower. Okay. And so the Lord sometimes withholds those powers and authorities from us until we are ready. Now the matzah, the maror, and Pesach, it's time to eat something other than that salty, salty twig we had earlier. The blood will be a sign for you on the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's where we get Passover. Exodus 12, 13. Now we have the Zerora on everybody's table. You have the bone of a lamb. Hold it up if you'd like. If you think it's weird and gross, you can leave it there. <laughs> but I boiled them. They're okay. And they think, what? It's a weird bone. I, somebody ate my dinner for me and left me this. What it looks like, right? But the Zerorah shank bone represents the Paschal lamb offered up at this feast. In the Passover lamb, we see our Messiah. On the tenth day of this month, every man should take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month. When the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lentil of the houses in which they eat. Exodus twelve three five through seven. On the tenth of Nisan, Yeshua made his famous entry into Jerusalem, riding upon a donkey, at which time he was scrutinized by those in authority. Then, just a few days later, he was slain as our Passover lamb in order he might take on the sins of the world. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. We who have trusted Messiah, Yeshua, as the Lamb of God, apply the blood of the Lamb to the door of our hearts in keeping with obedience that God's judgment may pass over us. You may not offer the Passover sacrifice within any of your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, but at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell in it. There you shall offer the Passover sacrifice. As we noted earlier, since the temple in Jerusalem no longer stands, animal sacrifices cannot be made. The temple mount is the only acceptable location for sacrifices, especially the Pesach offering. Therefore, lamb is typically not eaten, and I'm going to say typically because there's a tradition, there's different sects of Judaism 
And this, the main group of Judaism, the larger group, is actually the Ashkenaz, the European Jews. And they do not eat lamb on Passover because we don't want people to be confused thinking that we're eating Passover lamb. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm Ashkenaz, but I'm also Igbo and Sephard, these different nations of Jews. And these, uh, many of them will eat lamb on Passover. But we want to make sure there's that distinction. We are nowhere, no way, if we eat lamb today or during the Passover, we are in no way eating a Passover lamb, which can only be slaughtered at the temple by the priest. We don't have either. So we don't do that. Now, you can have lamb on Passover, but not Passover lamb. Does that make sense? And which is why we have a bone on the plate to represent that lamb. And in no way would we eat lamb in any form as, a, as superseding the sacrifice of Jesus of Nazareth who became our Passover lamb. Is that fair? Beautiful. Shank, let me continue the bottom of page 27. The shank bone, however, reminds us both the sacrifice and both the animal and of our Messiah. Now to page 28. Now we lift the matzah. Everyone at the table, please grab a piece. This matzah that we eat is for what reason? Because the dough of our fathers did not have time to become leaven before the king of kings, the holy one, blessed be he, revealed himself to them and redeemed them. Exodus 12, 39. With the dough they had brought from Egypt, they baked cakes of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. We put it down. Now... One person ahead of the table, take your spoon. Now, there's something really strong in the middle of each plate, and we call it maror. This is on the table. Whoops. Sorry, Lori. Now, this is horseradish. Now, this is homemade horseradish. I'm warning you all now. COVID doesn't have a chance when it comes to this horseradish, okay? This is maror. This maror that we eat is for what reason? Because the Egyptians embittered our fathers' lives as it is in Egypt, as it is said in Exodus 1.14. They made our lives bitter with hard labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. And in all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. ruthlessly. Mm-hmm. Did I do that one okay? Yeah. Thank you. No Ruth. And every generation, a person is obligated to regard himself as if he had come out of Egypt. And it is said, you shall tell your child on that day. It is because of this that the Lord did for me when I left Egypt. You can go ahead and put that spoon back down in there. And that's what I said earlier is we are experiencing coming out of bondage with this Passover Seder. We can all experience this in different ways. Some people have physically been imprisoned. Some people have been imprisoned by addiction, bad habits, unforgiveness. Some of us have been imprisoned by other people not forgiving us, even though the Lord has forgiven us. Many of us have been imprisoned by sin, sin, transgression, iniquity of the Lord. But those are all bondages that get released tonight. Who needs that in their life? 
Amen. And only God can do that. We'll continue. The Holy One, blessed be He, redeemed not only our fathers from Egypt, but He also redeemed us with them, as it is said. It was us that He brought out from there, so that He might bring us to give us the land that He swore to our fathers. Blessed are you, God, our God, King of the universe, who has redeemed us and redeemed our fathers from Egypt, and enabled us to, to attain this night. To eat matzah and maror, so too God, our God, and God of our fathers, enable us to attain other holidays and festivals that will come to us in, in peace, with happiness, in the rebuilding of your city, and with rejoicing in your service. Then we shall eat the sacrifices of the Passover offering, and we shall thank you with a new song for our redemption and for the deliverance of our souls. Blessed are you, God, who redeemed Israel. God brought us out of Egypt with all the plunder we could carry. The Lord went ahead of us in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. But God hardened Pharaoh's heart once more. As we reached the Sea of Reeds, he looked back to see Pharaoh and his army pursuing us. We cried out to the Lord, and he delivered us. We went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on our right and on our left. The day the Lord saved us from the hands of the Egyptians. When, the, when we saw the great power God displayed against the Egyptians, we feared the Lord and put our trust in him and in Moshe, his servant. Moshe is Hebrew for Moses. We see that those who curse or abuse God's people are punished in kind. God cursed the Egyptians in the same manner that the Egyptians had cursed the Hebrews. He killed their firstborn sons and drowned their army, just as the Egyptians had drowned the Hebrew boys in the Nile. Genesis 12.3 states, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those. I will curse you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. Let us always remember that although Israel has experienced a hardening in part of the full number of the Gentiles, it's come within Romans 11.25, they have not been forgotten nor disowned. God's gifts and callings are irrevocable. And the destinies of the Jews and those of us who submit to the God of Israel are forever intertwined in a mystery. Before the cup of judgment, we're going to take a piece of the matzah. And we're just going to take a small piece of it, not much, and we're going to dip it in that horseradish. And we're going to do this a couple times tonight. Put a little bit on your plate there. Here's a spoon. Spoon over there. The daring people have already been doing this. All right, go ahead. And now remember, we have that cup of judgment that we've already poured. And we lift the cup with our right hand. 
I will free you from being slaves. Exodus 6, 6. This cup is a symbol of bitterness as well as joy. Bitterness because of God's judgment poured out on Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Joy because of God's judgment on our behalf, delivering us from a life of slavery. The Midrash, which is an ancient Jewish commentary, relates to that when the Egyptians were drowning in the Sea of Reeds, the angels wished to join in Israel's songs of victory by singing hallelujah. But God rebuked them, saying, how can you sing hallelujah when my creatures are drowning? In the spirit, we have filled our second cup of wine a little bit less. Our, our gladness is diminished by any human suffering, even the suffering of our enemies. All, I will free you from being slaves. For Messiah Yeshua, it was a bittersweet cup as well, knowing that in order for us to be free, he drank the cup of judgment on our behalf. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Now let's lift our cups, thanking God that he not only judged the Egyptians, but that Yeshua, through Yeshua, he delivers us from the plagues of sin and death. Baruch Adonai. Eloheinu melech haolam, borei brihagafen. Amen. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. And we lean as we drink the cup of judgment. The next is the washing of the hands for the meal. So you have the blue water in front of you. One more time. Amen. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe. You sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to wash our hands. Top of page 32, we have Motsi. This is the blessing for the bread. At John 6, 48, Jesus of Nazareth said, I am the bread of life. And now we raise, you have a few pieces of matzah in front of you. Go ahead and raise if you could. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, amotzi lechem min haaretz, Amen. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And Yeshua, the bread of life. Eat it with matzah and maror, Shemot, Exodus 12, 8. On all other nights we eat chametz, bread with leavening. But on Pesach we only eat matzah, unleavened bread. Because the dough had not yet risen when the King of Kings, the Holy One, blessed be he, revealed himself to our forefathers in Egypt and redeemed them. And we baked matzah loaves from the dough they had brought out of Egypt since it was unleavened, because they had been driven out of Egypt without time to prepare supplies for themselves. As the children of Israel fled from Egypt, they did not have time for their dough to rise. Instead, the hot desert sun baked it flat. But even more than that, the scriptures teach us that the chametz, the yeast, often symbolizes sin. 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8. Don't you know the saying, it takes a little chametz to leaven a whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old chametz so that you may be a new batch of dough. Because in reality, you are unleavened. 
For our Pesach lamb, the Messiah has been sacrificed. So let us celebrate the Seder, not with leftover chametz, the chametz of wickedness and evil, but with the matzah of purity and truth. It is in this season that we search ourselves, examining our hearts for anything that might be an offense to our God. Just as chametz easily permeates a batch of dough, so sin permeates our lives if left unattended. As we break matzah, let us pause to examine ourselves in order that we may not eat of the Lord's bread in an unworthy manner. Tonight, let us be like King David when he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us regarding the eating of the matzah. And now we break some of the matzah again and pass it to those on our table. Lean to the left and eat some of the matzah. You're going to make some crumbs. It's very normal. (laughs) You may need some water after this. not the blue water. And now we'll focus on the maror, the bitter herb. Eat it with matzah and maror, Exodus 12.8. On all other nights, we eat all kinds of vegetables, but on Pesach, we eat only maror, bitter herb. Let us remember how bitter life was for us when we were in the land of Egypt. Never allow the trials and heartaches of life to make us become hopeless. Tonight, we eat bitterness rather than becoming embittered. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and work them ruthlessly. They made them bitter with hard labor in brick and mortar and all kinds of work in the fields. Exodus 1.12. said, Come to me, all who labor, all heavy laden, and I will give you rest. As we scoop some more maror onto a piece of matzah, let us allow the bitter taste to cause us to shed some tears of compassion for the sorrow that our ancestors knew thousands of years ago. God does call us to be a compassionate people. Don't eat it yet, don't eat it yet. Oh, did you do it? I did it. She was just practicing. And we have a blessing on the uh, page 35. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us with your commandments and command us to eat the bitter herbs. And yeah. relax. Is anybody actually enjoying the horseradish? Yeah. 
did we mix it with mayonnaise? Is that what we did? Before we mixed it with mayonnaise, what I had last night was that amount. You cried. Okay, God, I get it. I get it. I'm compassionate. <laughs> I feel what they felt. Now the Korech. We have a fun tradition. Um, short version is there was a man named Hillel. Back in this time, from the time of Christ and around that time, there would be a chief rabbi, and he would be the chief rabbi of all Israel, from the Galilee to Judea and, and Jerusalem, and all of these areas, he would be the chief rabbi, and there would typically be one at each generation. Now, there was this Rabbi Hillel, and Hillel means praise. And Hillel knew some stuff. He was the rabbi of so many people, and his best student who took over after him was Rabbi Gamliel. And Rabbi Gamliel was the rabbi of Paul. So Paul was very, very learned. Now, years after that, who would have graduated from the same school would, would have been Yeshua HaNatsri, or Jesus of Nazareth, would have also studied under Rabbi Gamliel. And Hillel was still there, still alive. He was hanging out. Now, the funny thing happened is at 12 years old, when the young boy is supposed to spend a year under the rabbis learning for their bar mitzvah the next year, Jesus of Nazareth was teaching Rabbi Gamliel and Rabbi Hillel. They were pretty impressed. Who gave the, whose kid is this? Jesus of Nazareth had, had divine wisdom that no other boy his age could have had and revealed things to these great rabbis. Later on, the, the rabbi who would be the rabbi of rabbis would be Nicodemus. The Talmud, the Jewish writings say that Nicodemus was the third wealthiest man of all Jerusalem. He was revered. He was intelligent. Friends of all the, the, the powers that be had so much authority, the Roman soldiers would listen to his words, even as a Jew. Now, in the 400s, around four, uh, 417, I believe, uh, Nicodemus's coffin was found next to Gamaliel, his rabbi, and on the same property next to Stephen the Hellenized Jew that was stoned to death right in front of Paul. All of these were closet believers in Jesus of Nazareth. The top rabbi at the time, the one who, who superseded him, and of course Stephen, who we know was sharing the gospel before he was stoned. So Hillel's grandson, which is another rabbi, rabbi Hillel, was after 70 AD, after the fall of the temple, actually came up with the Hillel calendar, which we now call today the Jewish calendar. It has been nearly accurate for 2,000 years, and the guy had no computers. I'm not sure what I'm doing next week. I have to use a Google calendar that tells me when to get up tomorrow. But for some, somehow he had divine knowledge to predict when the moon would be full in, in the new moon for thousands of years. What a beautiful thing. So when we talk about these lineages of these great rabbis, remember, Nicodemus sat down with Jesus, no matter how intelligent he was, the rabbi of rabbis. Jesus stumps him in two sentences. The wisdom of our Messiah was beyond anything we had ever seen in human history. But Hillel had a great idea. 
Rabbi Hillel said, why don't we make a sandwich out of these elements? I don't know why. I think he just liked sandwiches. So it's called eating of the Hillel sandwich. He invented sandwiches, yeah. And Exodus 6.5, it says, I've heard the groaning of the people of Israel. And in Numbers 9.11, the 14th day of the second month, at, at evening they shall keep it and eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. So what we're going to do is we're going to go skip to page 36. But you're going to take a couple pieces of matzah. And if you are running out of matzah, maybe uh, please raise your hand. And uh, Do we have more in the back? There's more tables? Okay. So what we're going to do is you're going to take two pieces. And this is just the appetizer. This is wonderful. And what we're going to do is see in front of you, we have romaine. And romaine is, is or some form of lettuce. That's going to be like a, a bitter herb. We're going to rip that, rip a piece into four pieces so everybody has a piece. And this is why we washed our hands first. <laughs> and on your matzah, we're going to put some of the horseradish, some of the parsley, some of the, uh, that romaine, and then of course you're going to see another thing called choroset, which we're going to talk a little bit more about, so don't eat it all. The choroset is, is an apple uh, dish, and you're going to make that sandwich. So I'll just pass this around. Please do not put the shank bone in your sandwich or the eggshell, please. And then uh, on your plate, you're going to have that harosa, that apple, that apple dish there. And I'll just explain shortly as it reminds us of the mortar that we had to use to build all those bricks in Egypt. Thank you. So before we eat, we'll go ahead and explain. Oh, do you have some? Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Thank you. We toiled to make treasure cities for Pharaoh, working in brick and clay. We remember this task in a mixture called harosa. Made from chopped apples, honey, nuts, and juice. It symbolizes the mortar that our ancestors used to build the pyramids. The sweet taste reminds us that even the most bitter depths of slavery, our ancestors never stopped yearning for the sweet taste of freedom. It is also a reminder of how the sweetness of Messiah Yeshua's resurrection gives us the ability to overcome the bitter curse of sin in our lives. We dip the bitter herbs in charoset and remind ourselves that even the most bitter of circumstances can be sweetened by the hope of redemption. And then we lean and we eat this funny-looking sandwich that's very hard to hold together. (laughs) It's going to make a mess. It's okay. The egg, everyone, you'll see an egg in your plate here. The egg was added to the Seder plate after the fall of the temple. 
And when we break the egg, it reminds us, no, just me. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. We break the egg, it reminds us that our temple has been destroyed. We lost our temple. What we did was, when Jesus came, he came as in the, prophesied by the Jewish people in the Talmud. We had two parts of a Messiah, son of David, son of Joseph. Son of David was called the conquering king. Son of Joseph was called the suffering servant. The conquering king was also called the Lion of Judah. The suffering servant was also called the Lamb. We wanted a king to save us from Rome's, the Roman persecution and government that we were serving. We didn't get the Messiah we wanted 2,000 years ago, which is why many Jews did not believe at that time. But we got the Messiah we needed. Instead of being saved from Roman oppression, we were saved from the oppression of sin and death. Now when he returns, he's going to be king. Lion of Judah, roaring from the mountaintop in the Mount Olives. Scripture says that all will know in a moment that the Messiah has arrived. Who's excited for that? So you can eat the egg a little bit later. We'll put it back for now. I saw some of you already eating some egg. Some of you wondering why it wasn't dyed funny colors. That's a different holiday. Shulchan Arek is the next section here in the middle of 36. The festival meal, the setting of the table. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord. Exodus 12, 14. We have a wonderful joke that Jewish holidays are. They try to kill us. God saved us. Let's eat. Now, at this, at this moment, we're going to go ahead and eat the regular meal. I'm going to have, Lori, if you can give direction on that, this microphone. So please put your, your, uh, your Haggadahs, your Haggadot on the table. If you put it upside down, it'll hold that place for you. And get ready. We're going to eat some wonderful food, and we'll say a blessing uh, before we eat. But first, the directions. Okay. So give me maybe five minutes to pull all the hot stuff out, and we're going to put it all over here. We have fresh plates that you guys can grab so you don't have to carry these plates over. And then you can just fill your plates up. We'll have one, um, the matzo ball soup. Um, if you get the matzo balls that's in the soup, it does have gluten. But we will have some um, broth and soup without the matzo balls in there for those of you that um, have issues with gluten. So it'll all be over here, and we'll get everything out here in just about five minutes. And um, also wanted to thank... Jen and Lance and Larry and Jane and Carolyn, they have been just wonderful to help. I, and my family has been fab, fantastic. So, um, and Scott and Jeff back there too, running everything. Thank you, so, Lori. Thank you, guys. It's been wonderful. So I'm going to go over there and I'll let you finish. Perfect. So we'll say a blessing for the meal in, in a moment. After we eat, do not leave because... Number one, the kids are going to win a prize, whoever, whichever kid finds the Elfie Coleman. And then we have a few more pages and blessings, and we have some joyous songs after, uh, after we eat. So say, uh, or would you like to lead a prayer for the meal? Thank you, Pastor. God, thank you for things worth remembering and celebrating. Thank you for the heritage that we have. Thank you for the Hebrew Scriptures, for the New Testament, for the faith 
that you have uh, given us. And Lord, thank you for this fellowship tonight. Thank you for the food we're about to receive and for all the hands that have prepared it. Lord, uh, may we eat with glad and sincere hearts around these tables tonight. We uh, pray your blessing on this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Does anybody have any questions while we have uh, three minutes? Any questions? We have, I see that hand. I see that. I'm sorry. What? Oh, where it says God or Lord. Yeah, that's, a, that's a wonderful question. So in the, in the Hebrew text, um, we see the letters in Hebrew, Yod, He, Vav, He. And this is the sacred name of God. And to the Jewish people, anything that you write the sacred name of God on becomes a sacred object. So what we do often is when we say Lord or God or these different things, we won't spell out the entire name or we'll put a dash in it um, because even though this is a wonderful book, we're gonna, there's food all over this thing. And I'm going to spill a little more food on it in about five minutes. So w- the scripture says not to take the Lord's name in vain. And that means many different things. I know uh, where a lot of us are raised believing that's what it means you know, to take the Lord's, main, Lord's name in vain is what somebody might say when they stub their toe trying to find the restroom at one in the morning. But, but it's about carrying the Lord's name in a place it should not go and not defaming the Lord's name. So when we say something like, oh, I swear to God I'm going to do this, and then we don't do it, we have lessened the authority of God's name in, in our presence. And so whenever we spell out the God's name in Judaism, uh, the Father's name, we do put a dash in there. Because we, we want to protect the sanctity of God's name, if that makes sense. Thank you. Any other questions? Sure. So the uh, uh, pastor has asked me to share where I went from, from Nazarene to rabbi. You know, that's that's quite a jump. But I'll tell you that... It's a smaller jump than you'd think. Um, as, as a Jew, I chose not to study much of Judaism growing up. My parents are uh, not Christians. They're not religiously Jewish. I call them ultra-reformed. There wasn't God growing up where I was. Well, there was, but he wasn't talked about. The faith of my father was during the Super Bowl. You can get up during the game, but you had to sit and watch the commercials. And his seven-layer bean dip, you couldn't scrape the guacamole off the top. You had to go down to the beans. And these are just these funny little things that mom and dad have, you know, be home by dark, things like that. But we weren't raised in faith. So I was invited, a friend, his name was uh, Michael Bickle, we were young, and he invited me to his church. And he, he said, come to my church this Sunday. And I said, what's a church? He said, it's a house where God lives. I said, oh, I'd like to meet the guy. So I show up, and there's this and it was a Southern Baptist church. Anybody been to a Southern Baptist church? I tried fried chicken and peach cobbler for the first time, and I said, I need to know more about this God. <laughs> <laughs> and, I didn't, and I saw this large man who was very excited, sweating everywhere and preaching, and, and I said, are you God? He said, no, but I work for him. I said, can I meet him? And he goes, well, he's everywhere. I said, I'm six years old. What do you mean? So they decided to give me a Bible. I went home by the time I was seven. I read the entire thing. 
Nobody had coached me on what to read, what to believe. Often people coach, say, start at the Gospels. Well, I, didn't, I thought it was a book. So I started where it said, in the beginning. I said, oh, that's where I should start. It says, in the beginning. Makes sense. So I read this thing. I read from where it said, Holy Bible. I read through the appendix, glossary, and maps. Anybody ever read the book of maps? It's a wonderful book all the way at the end. I read the Bible, and I believed the Bible. And I went to my parents, and I said, I want to tell you about this God. And they, oh, no, 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 no. You, no, you don't, they don't want to be those people. You know, those people, they're, they're very harsh. They're unloving. They're judgmental. You don't want to be those people. But I kept going to church. I kept, I kept, I kept. By the time I was 13, I was in the missions field with the Free Methodist denomination. By 14, I was preaching. By 16, I was visiting different um, faith-based colleges, same as 17. I left the Lord for a few years, but he didn't leave me. And I found myself humbled, broken, addicted, and homeless after a few years of trying to do life on my own. And somebody said, why don't you sleep in our little church over here in Oregon? And I said, okay. So I found myself broken, sleeping in the attic of a small Nazarene church that used to be a house that was converted into a church. And I, and I put a Bible. This, this church was so poor, all of the Bibles were from the Gideons. Remember the Gideon Bibles you can steal from the hotel? They're the only people that are okay with you stealing their stuff. And I've been in a lot of hotels lately, and they're no longer in the hotels. If you have a Bible, maybe you should leave it in a hotel. Maybe, just saying, we could start a little movement here. But I put it next to my, on my chest. I laid on the ground. I said, God, I'm giving you my life. I don't want my life anymore. I said, it is finished. And I exhaled, expecting God to take my diseased body, homeless and addicted body, and let me die. And then he said, I'll take your life, but not in the way you think. And he said, you will serve my kingdom and serve my people. And I said, I have nothing else but that. I was uh, 20 years old. So I gave my life back to the Father, signed up for Nazarene Bible College, met her at an international house, uh, 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 house of prayer, National House of Prayer plant in Oregon where we met, a 24-hour prayer house. I read my schedule wrong, went on the wrong day, met my wife. It's okay to do, it's okay to fail sometimes. It might be better than you think. Amen. And I became the associate pastor of the church that I once slept in. That's how I became a Nazarene pastor. The, the media guy was a Jew, and I said, how did you come to believe in Jesus as a Jew? And he said, he said, he said I don't believe in Jesus. He said, I just work here at the church. He said, if I believe in Jesus, I'm no longer a Jew. And he said, why don't you talk about being Jewish? I said, nobody knows. And he goes, well, Jews know Jews. We know. So we had a very short Jewish discussion for about two years straight. And yes, that's a very short Jewish discussion. At the end of that Jewish discussion, we found that as a Jew, I had a responsibility to things like the Passover Seder and teaching that. And he realized that he can believe in Jesus of Nazareth and still keep his identity as a Jew. Paul did. The disciples did. Everybody did up until Acts chapter 10 when Cornelius, the Italian nobleman, showed up on the scene. They were all Jews that believed in Jesus. They were called Messianic Jews or Nazarenes or followers of the way or disciples. In Greek, Christianos, where did the word Christian from? It means a disciple of Christ. And so after that, I started studying more and I talked to my Jewish parts of my family and I said, what do I do? I, I've, been, I've been not studying, not doing Jewish stuff. And they said, well... We've been in Colorado for five generations, being Assemblies of God pastors, 
Catholic teachers of catechism, church leaders, political leaders, and we've been secretly Jewish at home for five generations in Durango. I think it's okay to be openly Jewish now. So I talked to my matriarchs and patriarchs, and they, and they said, I'm going to do it. Studied the Hebrew roots of my faith, became ordained as a Hebraic roots minister, and then in the last study for five more years and became a Messianic rabbi under an organization called UMJA. We have a synagogue in Colorado Springs where we lead, and we have a passion to bring the, the Old Testament and the culture of Christ to his people. The culture of Christ was separated from the people of Christ in the 300s by a man named Constantine, who eventually outlawed the fellowship of Jews and Christians by the year 400. And by 467 in the Council of Antioch, Jews could not serve in government. Jews could not be doctors or attorneys, which is funny because we do a lot of that now. <laughs> and, the, and Christians were not allowed to visit synagogues, and Jews were not allowed to visit churches. And it disrupted that understanding from Christians from the Old Testament, which is the first two-thirds of the, our book. Now today, all of that is being reversed. 1,700 years of separation between the followers of Christ and the culture of Christ are being washed away. And there's a passion that we have. We don't want people to feel they have to go to a, a non-believing synagogue to learn a Passover Seder. We believe that we can bring the Passover Seder to the believers and give you the authentic elements without you having to be at risk. There are people in this town, in many towns, that are experts at leading Christians away from Christ. It's happened in Woodland Park, it's happened in Colorado Springs, where people want to understand these elements, and two years later, they're giving up their salvation in Christ. We are working against the anti-missionaries by being missionaries. <laughs> and our mission is to bring the culture of Christ to Christians, and that's why I'm a rabbi today. And that's the Good. short version. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor, for having us. Right. Thank you. So Lori's ready for us. What do we do? Line up and serve yourself. Thank you.
There's a grief that can't be spoken There's a pain goes on and on Empty chairs at empty tables Now my friends are dead and gone Here they talked of revolution Here it was they lit the flame they sang about tomorrow, and tomorrow never came. From the table, 